episode 29. Welcome, friends. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Bible FAQ with Kirk Van, the podcast that provides brief, thoughtful, biblical answers to your questions. I am Kirk Van Odeham, your host, and I am looking forward to addressing yet another question asked by a listener just like you. And I will be addressing the topic of biblical fasting uh, in this episode, what the Bible has to say about the spiritual discipline of fasting. So I'm looking forward to that. But very quickly, before we start that discussion, I want to encourage you uh, to visit our website, kirkvan.com. And there you can uh, ask a question uh, through the contact page. You can find links to our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, what have you, uh, and uh, find out how to connect us with us that way. Uh, you can also uh, find other ways to access uh, podcast content uh, through audio podcast apps such as Google Play or Google Podcasts, excuse me, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many, many others. Or there's a link to our YouTube uh, channel for video or Facebook Watch content as well. Uh, if you are glutton for punishment and want to look at my face instead of just listening to my voice. <laughs> so all that's available on the website. Uh, I do want to kind of uh, quickly move in to our content for today. So let's get right to our question. And our question comes from Roxanne, another listener from Muncie, Indiana. And Roxanne asked this question uh, via the Facebook uh, Messenger. And I'm going to read uh, most of the question, but trim it down a little bit for, t uh, for length. It says here, can you explain fasting and the different ways to fast? My sister and I were discussing this and fasting together for a specific purpose. However, we weren't sure if this was okay and wanted to be sure. I have always approach fasting as very personal. I don't talk about doing it or why. I might comment after that I fasted and prayed about something. She also asked me what it meant when the Bible says to anoint then cleanse your face. I told her what I thought, but I wanted to check with you. Thank you and God bless. We both love your podcast. Well, thank you, Roxanne, for the question, and especially thank you for the kind remarks about the podcast. And I, I do want to mention uh, that to the listeners that this question was actually asked a while back. And, you know, I kind of have a running cue here and a lot of questions I need to get to eventually. Uh, but I've been delaying on, on addressing this one uh, partly because I didn't have great notes on the topic and it appeared to me I've never taught on this subject in terms of Bible study or other, you know, form of ministry. And that's probably a pretty good indication that I per I need to personally challenge myself uh, more in this area. It's not that I didn't know anything about it, but I didn't just have uh, very comprehensive notes that to talk about uh, get into any amount of detail without doing a little groundwork first. So, uh, at any rate, there's a lot one can say about the topic of fasting. Uh, I'll provide some thoughts 
in the form of, I guess, a primer on this topic or on this subject. So let's call this Fasting 101, if you will. Well, I'll start with the most basic question here, and that is, what is fasting? Of course, a good definition of fasting is just willing to, uh, excuse me, willing or voluntary abstinence from food. So the, the, the important part there is you have to do it deliberately, voluntarily, in order for it to be fasting. And of course, there's various other purposes and reasons why one might fast uh, for health reasons, for diet reasons, etc. But in the Christian context, in the religious context, fasting is for a spiritual or religious purpose, not just any form of fasting. So in biblical terminology, and this is kind of important, uh, the Greek term that we translate fasting in the English uh, or fast uh, is nestus, the noun, or nestuo, which is the verb. It literally means not eating. So in that way, it comes from the verb estheo, and meaning to eat, but it's coupled with a negative participle, which means not eating. Uh, and so that's what fasting literally means, not eating. Uh, the Hebrew to assume it literally means to cover over the mouth. And so figuratively, that means, you know, you put your hand in front of your mouth or whatever so that you won't eat food. So uh, theologically and in context, it's understood that uh, this word to assume means to, to abstain from food or to fast, as we would say in English. Of course, the contemporary Christian usage today, some Christians use the term to refer uh, use the term fast to refer to a temporary abstinence or self-denial of all sorts of things. Um, you know, um, just to give a few examples, I've heard people say, I'm going to fast from sweets or I'm going to fast from chocolate. I'm going to fast from coffee or that sort of thing. Uh, and then even expanded beyond food. Some people say I'm going to fast for and this is becoming more and more popular these days. I'm going to fast from media. Uh, watching television or even watching the news or or, or, or that sort of thing. Or I'm going to fast for social media is a big trend these days. It's not going to get on Facebook or Instagram or what have you. You know, people say they're going to fast from uh, music or at least secular music for a while. Say I'm going to fast from shopping. I'm not going to buy anything for a month or for six months uh, unless it's food, something of that nature. They, they, they call it consider that a form of fasting or from some other hobby or activity or, or what enjoyment they're going to sacrifice that for lack of a better term for their spiritual benefit I guess they could say and then people also uh, popular thing in, in Christian circles today is what they call a Daniel fast it is a type of food fast they believe they get a biblical precedent from it, from the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. Uh, there's many iterations of it. I won't get into it to now. Um, but technically, anything short of abstaining from all food is not called a fast in the Bible. It's not called the uh, nestis or, or uh, tzum, to use the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, that's not... Uh, so technically... Biblical fast is clearly abstinence from food, all food. So the Bible never specifically describes these other types of fasts that are kind of a fad in Christianity today. Now, I'm not saying that those are bad things or they're not positive things. There's many of these sacrifices, again, for lack of a better word, that can be very positive and very beneficial. And I would certainly encourage people, you know, to do those things. Um, for Number one, it's just a good practice in terms of temperance and self-control in many areas. 
to, you know, consider doing some of these things and refraining uh, or abstaining from different things from time to time as an area of practicing self-control, such as reducing or eliminating unnecessary purchases. That's just good stewardship. We want to make the most out of what God's given us. Elim eliminating sugar or empty calories or some other kind of dietary restriction if one chooses to do so for spiritual purposes. Um, uh, certainly that has great health benefits. You know, rethinking our time managements and priorities. A lot of times we quote unquote fast from different things because we want to redirect our time, uh, stop wasting time and, and put God more in the center of our life. Well, again, anything we can do to make ourselves more productive and efficient uh, when it comes to the kingdom and the things of God, uh, of God that's a positive development. Um, so these are all, you know, these are all good things, positive things, things I would encourage. Certainly when it comes to worldly activities or, or negative habits that are having or have the potential to have a negative influence on us or that are hampering or stunting our spiritual growth, obviously we should rethink our participation in those things and consumption of those uh, activities, what have you. But I'm just saying I personally don't find it helpful to conflate any of those things with fasting in the biblical sense. I'm not trying to be nitpicky. I'm just saying fasting has a very specific meaning and purpose in Scripture. While all those are good exercises and practices, they're not fasting in the biblical sense. So we talked about fasting is abstaining for food for spiritual purpose for a temporary period of time. And I want to talk about the biblical foundation for fasting. Well, in the Old Testament, the only commandment, uh, the only command that there is to fast is associated with the requirements of the Day of Atonement, also ca called Yom Kippur. You can read about this in Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23, and Numbers 29. I won't have to take the time to get into all of what Yom Kippur was, but it was a day of atoning for the sins of Israel. It was a national how holiday, or, uh, if you will, a national annual observance. There was a sacrificial system that was a part of that. Um, there was It was a Sabbath where no work was to be done. But and then also uh, there was this idea uh, from Scripture that um, you shall afflict your souls, as it says in the King James Version, or you shall practice self-denial. You should deny yourself, as it says in some of the contemporary versions of the Bible. So the idea here in the historical and contextual understanding, the theological understanding, it would be a day of fasting from food. And that's also... Um, reiterated and confirmed in other passages throughout the Old Testament. And even a pa passage in Acts 27 uh, refers to this day. So that's the only biblical commandment uh, to fast. Uh, Jewish tradition uh, has uh, other times of fasting within uh, their within their religious practices, but none, none that stem directly uh, from Scripture. Uh, fasting in the Old Testament was also done for many other reasons on many other occasions, uh, but they all seem to center primarily around three things, repentance and uh, times of distress when they really just needed help from the Lord, and also uh, grief, either grief over uh, sins or grief over uh, missed opportunity spiritually, or even more natural grief over the loss of a loved one or something. Culturally, uh, fasting wasn't restricted just to Judaism. It was a practice that was associated with loss and grief and mourning. Uh, but from a religious perspective, it was also 
had to do with repentance and distress as well. And I'll provide some examples here in just a moment. Now, the biblical foundation in the New Testament comes from two places primarily, the first place, both in the Gospels and the teaching of Jesus. The first place is in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll get to the full text here in a little while, uh, but it just there's a section in Matthew 6 as, as part of the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches about prayer, and then he changes his direction to teaching on fasting, and it says, Moreover, when ye fast... And then it goes on to give a few guidelines, which again we'll discuss in a moment. So here, um, Jesus is not just referring to the Jewish practice and something that is getting ready to pass away. Why would he spend time teaching his disciples, his followers on the Jewish practice if it's getting ready to supplant it or remove it? Um, so the, the, the clear understanding here and the contextual understanding is that the expectation moving forward for his disciples, for his followers, for Christianity, for the church, is that fasting would continue to be an expectation. Maybe for different purposes in a different context and, and meaning, significance, but nevertheless fasting would continue in the New Testament era, New Testament era among the church, and then the second uh, kind of biblical New Testament foundation uh, comes from a passage that can be found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Jesus makes a uh, parallel statement here. I'll read the version from Matthew chapter number nine, verses fourteen and fifteen. It says this: Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off? But thy, but thy disciples fast not. Jesus said to them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. So uh, it's important to note here that some people uh, believe, based on the verses that follow that, that Jesus is saying, you know, fasting is no longer part of the New Testament expectation. Uh, because what he goes on to say later in verse 16 and 17, no man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment for that which is new, or for that which is put into it, filleth, fill it up, taketh, the, taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the old bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and bottles perish. But they shall put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. So the kind of theological understanding of these verses is there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, uh, that is not the same thing, that there's, there's distinct differences, and uh, that there would be difficulties and complications by people understanding these differences. And so people read that and say, well, this is in relation to fasting, so he's saying that, you know, fasting is something of the Old Testament, not of the New Testament. Fasting is something for the Jews, not for the Christians. So he he is making a distinction between the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things, the Jewish tradition and the Christian reality. However, in the middle of all that, he makes it very clear that when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, then shall they fast. So he is confirming that his followers will fast. He's just saying why wow, they're not fasting now in his day. When Jesus was present on the present on the earth, there was cause for celebration. There was uh, not cause for fasting, which is often uh, connected with mourning. 
But when he shall be taken away, he being the bridegroom, be taken away as in his ascension into heaven, while we await uh, for uh, his second coming, while we await for him to return, that's the time when fasting should be take, take place. So Jesus didn't say that fasting was abolished or that it would cease. He was nearly pointing out that the purpose for fasting would change. His disciples would no longer fast uh, because it was a requirement of the law, like the Pharisees and even the disciples of John did. But they would, in fact, fast, as he clearly stated. So this falls short of a commandment to fast, as, as like similar to the law, but it certainly points to an approval of fasting, an endorsement, even an encouragement of fasting as a spiritual discipline while awaiting the return of Christ. One could even say, based on this and, and the teaching from Matthew 6, that there is an expectation an understanding that followers of Jesus will fast at various times. And certainly references in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament demonstrate the continuance of the practice of, of fasting in the New Testament church. So the idea that Christians shouldn't fast or it's not a required or expected or, or not a thing anymore is just uh, misinformed. And that, that that's clear from Scripture. So let me give some, well, that is the biblical foundation of, of fasting and what it is. Let me provide very quickly some examples of fasting from the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, to begin with, there's many, and I'll briefly mention just some of the more prominent ones, but there's, this is not a comprehensive list. In Deuteronomy 9, Moses fasted before receiving the Ten Commandments. In 2 Samuel 12, David fasted as a part of his mourning for his sin and repenting of the sin that resulted in the illness uh, of, his, of his child that was born as a, as a product of that sin. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah fasted while escaping the wrath of Jezebel. In Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah uh, fasted out of concern for the safety of the, the, their journey to Jerusalem. In Ezra chapter 10, Ezra fasted uh, over mourning over the sins of the Jewish people. In Esther chapter 4, Esther uh, called for a fast uh, for the safety of the Jews who were who were in uh, jeopardy of being exterminated by uh, by the Persians. And so those are some of the more prominent examples of fasting in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have the example of John the Baptist, who obviously uh, in Matthew and Mark two, and the verse in Matthew and other verses that we just read, confirmed that John the Baptist and his disciples fasted. Now, one could say that was just continuance of the Old Testament practice, and that may be true. Uh, we find another example in the New Testament of Anna the prophetess in Luke chapter two. Uh, this beautiful example of this godly woman said she never left the temple, but she served God night and day with prayers and fasting. So. Uh, prayers and fasting were part of her service or ministry or worship to the Lord. Um, and then, of course, we have the example of Jesus himself. Jesus fasted uh, prior to his public ministry and also as a pre uh, precursor to his temptation uh, by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. So that's a New Testament example. And then we have several uh, examples from the book of Acts. Uh, relating to Paul and his contemporaries. 
Uh, there, uh, for example, in Acts chapter number nine, Paul uh, fasted for consecration after his conversion. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas and, and others fasted prior to their first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 14, Paul, Barnabas, and some of the other Christian leaders pre uh, fasted concurrent with appointing elders or pastors in the church. So in the New Testament, in these examples, the emphasis upon congregate. Uh, consecration, the emphasis is on submission to the Lord, the emphasis is on direction and guidance to perform uh, His will and, 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 and to launch into ministry and, and other similar reasons. So those are some of the uh, uh, New Testament examples of fasting. So that brings us uh, to, I want to spend some time discussing uh, in just a general primer, Fasting 101, uh, the question, why do we fast? Or we could say the purposes of fasting. And uh, I guess before we can really say what fasting is or what the purpose is, maybe it might be helpful to, to discuss very briefly here what fasting is not. Uh, so one thing that fasting is not, it's not a Christian weight loss technique or a health enhancement program or something like that. Um, the Bible never, never, uh, encourages fasting for the purpose of, of weight loss or health or 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 any bodily uh, physical enhancement or achievement that it obtained from that. That might be uh, a kind of a helpful result, you know, a, a blessing in disguise, but that has nothing to do with the purpose, spiritual purpose for fasting. It shouldn't be our motivation at all. It's not a way just to get what we want from God. It would be a mistake to think, oh, I have this need, so I'm going to fast for this specific need, thinking that that will somehow grant you, you know, more access to God or better, um, you know, a better chance of getting uh, your desire or your prayer answered or whatever. Uh, we don't earn things from God in that regard. Now, it is true that the closer we get to God, the more better position we're at to hear from Him and therefore get direction and guidance and all that kind of stuff. But that is perhaps a secondary purpose or a blessing or a benefit of fasting. It shouldn't be, you know, our purpose for fasting. We don't fast to get something from God. Um, it's certainly not a method to achieve a special mystical awareness or insight. Uh, throughout history and even today, there are some people that teach that, oh yeah, if you want special uh, spiritual power with God to understand deep mysteries and this sort of thing, fast and that will come to you. That may be the case in isolated circumstances, but the Bible never presents fasting uh, for that purpose or for that reason or, or guarantees or insinuates even that that would be a, a result of fasting. That's not really what fasting is about. Um, so what is the primary reason or purpose from fasting? Well, we can phrase this a couple different ways. There's really one reason. First of all, the Bible teaches us as Christians that we should fast. We could ask, you know, why that is. Um, and I don't think we'll get a specific uh, biblical explanation on why that is, other than we can uh, kind of conclude that God has a purpose for everything he asks us to do. God has a purpose in everything that he commands us or wants from us, not that fasting is a commandment, uh, but everything God asks for us to do or encourages us to do is for our good. 
is to help us, to bless us, to shield us from harm, to, to shield us from unnecessary pain and suffering. I say unnecessary because sometimes pain and suffering is part of the Christian experience and part of our growth and development. Uh, but in general, God wants uh, to protect us from things that would harm us and, and to help us through our life journey. And, and fasting in some way, shape, or form accomplishes that thing. So we can speculate as the, the why the reason God wants us to fast, but the, just the reality of the situation is the Bible directs us and instructs us and expects us to fast. Beyond that, we can draw from the analogy, this illustration that we read uh, here from the... Um, uh, uh, from Matthew chapter number nine and this analogy that Jesus gave when he was asked why his disciples don't fast. He said, you know, when the bridegroom is present with the wedding guests, uh, they don't fast at that time, but when the bridegroom is taken from them, then they'll fast. And so we can kind of conclude, I guess, from this example, uh, from this reason, from the, uh, the purpose from fasting. And the best explanation for this analogy, I think, is that fasting demonstrates a longing, an aching in the heart of God's people for the coming of the Lord and the, and the coming of the not yet kingdom, if you will. In other words, it's a realization that we are not completely united with the Lord, with the bridegroom, if you will, but there's still a waiting period. And so in this waiting period, this is longing and desire for the consummation of all things, for the, for the, for the new heaven and new earth, for the new uh, reality of the kingdom that is to come. And with that, realization comes a recognition that there's still growth to take place, that there's spirit, still spiritual development that takes place, that there is a preparation process, that there's a developing and a deepening of the relationship we have with God. This is what's called sanctification in the scripture. And so spiritual discipline is certainly a part of that development process, that growth process, that preparation process. So the bottom line is this. The Bible teaches us that we should fast. Uh, it's good for us. Uh, it's part of this waiting period. It's an expression of the longing in our hearts for, for, for the Lord and the things of God. But the bottom line is that fasting must center on God. That's got to be our purpose. That's got to be our reason uh, to please the Lord, to serve the Lord, to minister to the Lord, to worship the Lord. Uh, that's got to be our reason. And again, we find these examples in the New Testament. This example of Anna in Luke chapter 2 talks about how uh, her prayer and fasting was coupled with her serving or worship, as some translations put it, of the Lord. And to give an even more salient example in Acts chapter 13, again, uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, their fasting is coupled with prayer and serving the Lord. In the King James Version, or some translation phrase, phrase it, worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord with fasting, is what the, the scripture says in, in Acts 13, the beginning portion of that chapter. And so um, that, that that's the real purpose. That's the real goal. That's the real uh, reason for fasting is it's centering ourselves on God, our service to him, our ministering to him, our worship of him. And Zechariah, uh, the prophet Zechariah in chapter 7, verse 5, uh, the Lord asks all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and lamented, did you really fast for me? Now, of course, this is a different time period and different purpose and reason for fasting, but I think the question is still valid. Uh, 
is, is asking a question, what was your motivation? You were doing this, but why were you doing it? Uh, what was your purpose? Were you really doing it for me? Uh, was your motivation self selfish? Was it self-interested? Or was your motivation to please the Lord, to serve and worship the Lord, uh, to draw into a closer and deeper consecration according to God's plan and word? So it's sobering then, uh, you know, talking about the purpose and the reason for fasting. It's sobering to realize that Jesus' most comprehensive teaching on fasting, again in Matthew chapter 6, it begins with the question of motive. It begins with, um, you know, if you're doing it for these reasons, this is not a good reason to do it, and you shouldn't do that. And so we'll discuss more of that later. So that's the reason and the purpose for fasting. It's got to center upon God. It's got to be an expression of our love and desire for God, an expression of our service of administering and worshiping the Lord. Uh, but then there's also secondary purposes, I suppose you can say. Perhaps better put, there's blessings and benefits associated with it. I think, I'll just name a few here. There may be others. Uh, but anecdotally, or, or at least from a practical perspective, I think that it's appropriate to link the discipline of fasting to that of denying the lust of the flesh and walking after the Spirit. There's many verses of Scripture that describe that in detail throughout the epistles. don't have time to get into all that. Perhaps a better way to say it is fasting helps to keep us uh, with a proper balance in life. Uh, I've heard some teach that fasting is a, is, a, is a way of putting the flesh under subjection. I certainly agree with that. Although the Bible doesn't specifically present it that way, I think that we can make the logical pairing with these two principles and concepts. Biblically, the flesh just refers to the impulses or the desires of our fallen human nature. And so, um, you know, for example, David said in Psalm 35 and 13, I afflicted myself with fasting. I fasted in order to afflict myself, in order to, you know, deny the flesh, to put it under subjection. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, he says, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. Or the King James says, version says, I bring it under subjection. Now, Paul doesn't specifically mention fa fasting in relation to this, but it's a valid application. He's talking about Christian discipline. He's talking about his spiritual preparedness and, and, and discipline that he has, uh, that there's things that he does in order to lead an overcoming successful life. And those result in bringing his body under strict control, under subjection, if you will. So fasting certainly meets that purpose and is a valid application of that principle. But also we can draw, you know, um, you know, just again, anecdotally, we can draw from Old Testament examples and some of the blessings and benefits, secondary purposes, if you want, uh, for fasting. One is repentance and humbling ourselves before God. Uh, again, there's many Old Testament examples, but fasting has a way of revealing in us the things that we need to work on, the things that control us, such as pride and anger and bitterness and fear. Uh, fasting and subjecting ourselves to the sacrifice has a way of just helping that rise to the surface and exposing it and revealing it to us. Uh, Psalm 69 and 10, again, David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. It was a way of humbling himself and drawing him, him in uh, to better alignment with the, the things of God. And of course, as we mentioned of the Old Testament examples, 
that we, uh, we can fast in times of distress, in times where we need to seek guidance and direction and strength. Fasting is certain, uh, certainly a wonderful thing to do at those times, to bring us in alignment with God and his will and his purpose and his plan. Uh, now, it's important to understand on this point that we're not earning a favor or reward from God by fasting when we need help, how we're somehow obligating him to doing what we want because we're fasting. Uh, now, we should understand it as we're just being obedient to God, being obedient to his word. And in so doing, we're putting ourselves in a better position to hear from him and discover his will. Uh, we, we're not... He, we're not making him do what we want, but we're aligning ourselves with his will so we can make better accept what God has for us uh, in that particular time. And fasting is certainly helpful in that way. And as Jesus' example in Matthew 4 and Paul's example in Acts 13 and 14, uh, fasting is a wonderful thing to do in preparation for the work of God, anticipating being used in some service or ministry to the Lord. It just puts us, puts us in the right mindset. It puts us in the right spiritual condition that we can be most effective and used in the service for the Lord in that way. So all of these are our purposes or blessings or benefits of, uh, of fasting. And we could probably name many, many others anecdotally that people would come up with that don't necessarily find their uh, precedent in the Bible, but that are true nonetheless. And I guess the important point to mention in considering any other blessings and benefits would be uh, while Hebrews 11.6 tells us that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and that's a true is, and that's a true biblical spiritual principle, we must not let the rewards of consecration be our motivation for consecration. In other words, again, the focus must be upon his must be upon the Lord. The focus must be upon God. The focus must be upon our service to him, our desire to love him and please him, our desire to minister to him and worship him. The, the focus shouldn't be on the blessings and the benefits that we may or may not receive from fasting or any other endeavor that we engage in in that manner. So a little just bit about the the purposes and reasons for fasting. And so let's move on to more practical information in terms of guidelines for fasting, guidelines for fasting. So some people ask the question, how should we fast? Well, as mentioned, fasting is a temporary abstinence from food, all food. Um, and again, I won't get into the Daniel fast thing. There may be a place for that, but it shouldn't be conflated with biblical fasting. Uh, but beyond that, there's not one particular precedent or pattern that we must follow in terms of, you know, times or duration or anything of that nature. In some ways, there's no right or wrong way to fast in that regard. Uh, some people ask the question, should, should I drink water? Is it permissible to drink water to fast? I would personally say yes, as a general rule. Uh, not to do so could be very dangerous, even for a relatively short period of time. Uh, there are examples in the Old Testament where uh, fasting was accompanied by not drinking water, but there's other examples where that is not mentioned. There's certainly not any clear biblical evidence that fasting, in order to be properly or appropriately done, must include abstaining from water. That's certainly not uh, a part of the biblical 
uh, instruction. There's also no evidence that abstaining from water would be advantageous in some special way versus abstaining from food only. And uh, I won't get into the specific practices, but those instances in, when, in which water was not uh, utilize as part of the fast. Often those were supernatural fasts that were really, you know, uh, you know, special circumstances and not just the uh, regular, you know, daily devotional type of fasting that we would engage in today. And even for the, uh, you know, Moses, this uh, was a supernatural fast of 40 days. Elijah, he was a supernatural fast uh, for 40 days where he was literally fed by angels and that sustained him for 40 days. But in the case of Jesus himself and his 40-day fast, there's actually no indication that he abstained from water. It doesn't specific, specifically state that he abstained from water. Um, some people just kind of assume that, but it's not specifically stated. Whether he did or not, it's not actually all that important. The important thing is that um, if you do decide that you want to try to fast, with abstaining from water, you should be very careful and limit it to maybe a day fast and no longer with no water because it can become very dangerous. That's my view on that. How long should we fast? Uh, well, again, there's no right or wrong answer. Obviously, the longer the fast, the more difficult, and the more physically, mentally challenging, challenging in other ways. Uh, fasting for one day, it has biblical precedent, is the most common length of time to fast. Uh, precedent for this, of course, is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the only commandment in the Bible to fast uh, that was for one day. But there are also many other references to fasting for a day uh, in the Bible. We won't take the time to go through all that. Now, there are examples of people fasting for three or seven or 14 or 21 days. There's biblical precedents for all of those. Um, but again, that's not a requirement. Um, we need to pray about that. We need to seek the direction with the Lord regarding how long to fast. Um, but fasting a day is, is in my opinion, uh, uh, you know, a, a very good goal and a very worthy accomplishment, uh, for lack of a, of a better way of saying it. Uh, if a person wants to fast for two days or three days, that's wonderful too. I would just, you know, advise some caution and discretion and, and care and approaching it the proper way in a healthy way and get some guidance if you're going to go on an extended fast for more than a day or two. And uh, more than seven days is extremely rare in this day or age. Don't want to discourage people from doing that if that's what the Lord calls them to do. But again, uh, they should be very careful and, and perhaps consult with people who really know more about this sort of thing. Uh, when should we fast? Well, again, this is really an individual private decision. Um, some people decide that they're going to fast on a regular schedule, like, for example, one day every week or a part of a day every week or, or one day every other week or one day a month or whatever the case may be. Uh, there's no specific biblical direction or instruction for being on a regular rotation for fasting other than, again, as I mentioned, the, uh, the Yom Kippur when they did that one time a year was commanded. That mean, doesn't mean you can't fast any other time, but the, the, there is no biblical precedent for fasting a day a week, a day every other week, a day a month, whatever. That might be a good practice, and it's, it's certainly something people do, and it's advantageous. I'm just saying there's no biblical 
directive to do that. It seemed to be a common Jewish practice uh, in in the uh, Second Temple period that people would fast on the second and or fifth day of the week, which was supposed to parallel when when Moses rather ascended and descended from the mount. But again, that was just a Jewish tradition and custom that was not a biblical directive or instruction. Um, certainly, it's, it's appropriate and beneficial to, to, to fast on, on special days or for specific occasions. Um, again, Yom Kippur is the precedent there. Many people uh, throughout the history of Christianity have chosen to fast on days like Good Friday or other special days for, uh, for obvious reasons as part of their devotion and to really, um, you know, benefit spiritually from uh, this enhanced time of, of devotion and, and consecration. So that's not a bad idea for purposes like that. But that brings into the, uh, the conversation this idea of congregational fasting. Um, there's, there's several examples in the Old Testament, also a couple in the New Testament, where it's clear that a fast was called or organized by a spiritual leader to be done communally. Uh, and so Jehoshaphat called for a fast of all Jew, to all Judah, uh, seeking God's protection in Second Chronicles 20. Esther called for a fast of all the Jews that they could gather to fast and pray for their deliverance in Esther chapter 4. Ezra called for a fast before uh, their journey back to Jerusalem in Ezra chapter 8. Nehemiah called for a fast for the inhabitants of Jerusalem uh, to fast in repentance for the sins of Israel in Nehemiah 9. New Testament examples in Acts 13 and in Acts 14 in two different uh, incident, uh, episodes, two different circumstances, the leaders of the church obviously prayed and fasted together uh, seeking in a coordinated effort, seeking uh, guidance and direction from the Lord regarding uh, the furtherance of the ministry. And so, um, you know, a parallel for that today, maybe a pastor or other spiritual leader uh, organizing or coordinating a, a communal congregational uh, fast for a particular purpose or a particular reason that the Lord lays upon uh, your heart. So those opportunities are certain certainly wonderful times to fast. Or as as Jesus taught in Matthew 6, you know, passing, fasting is, is a private uh, endeavor, a very personal uh, endeavor. And so you can fast for your own personal reasons as needed. Uh, we may decide to fast in a time that you need strength. You might decide to fast in a time where you need just specific guidance uh, for the Lord, or when you feel called to deeper consecration uh, unto the Lord in a particular uh, time in your life. And hopefully if we're in touch with God and we're praying and we're keeping, uh, you know, a devotional life, I would think the Lord would move upon us maybe several times a year or at least a few times a year uh, to do that at minimum. Again, there's no hard or fast rules, uh, but I, I think if, if we haven't felt compelled to fast for uh, for a significant period of time, then we might want to re-examine our spiritual priorities and make sure that we're in a good place spiritually speaking. In short, we you know whenever we find ourselves in need of reminding that we must rely upon and trust the Lord, that's a good time to enter into a season of prayer and fasting. Now, in terms of a specific time, like a specific time of day, some people ask, when should I start my fast? Like, should I start it first thing in the morning and then fast until the next morning? Or how do you do that? 
Well, um, again, there's no hard and fast rule. Um, the Jewish construct of a day was a day began at sundown. And so, you know, uh, a day began at sundown and would last till sundown the next day and a new day would begin. So that's kind of a logistically a helpful way to, to visualize and, and construct uh, what a day is in terms of fasting because you could hypothetically eat dinner before before sundown and then start your fast at sundown and then fast till sundown the next evening and then maybe eat some you know a, a small meal after sundown but you will have fasted 24 hours a day you know an entire day if a person wants to just start their fast in the morning when they wake up because they visualize and have the construction of a day beginning in the morning when you wake up I think that's perfectly fine. You don't have to fast from sundown to sundown. Although I, I like that idea just because A, logistically it's kind of easier to do, but especially for more than one day fast. But also B, it just kind of, I, I like to think of it as kind of having a continuity with the people of the Bible days. That might seem a little weird, but I like it from that perspective. But again, there's no hard and fast rule. There's no right or wrong way. Uh, to do that. Another question people ask is what should we do during a fast? Obviously, you know, we abstain from all food during that fast, whether it's a day or two days or three days or longer. But people say, you know, is there anything specific we should do in addition to that? And my response would be, well, uh, many or even most of the biblical reference to fasting also mention prayer. I'm not going to take the time to read all the verses of scripture, but prayer and fasting go hand in hand. And the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter six, he talks about prayer and then he immediately talks about fasting because the two are related. And some of the, some of the principles and the, and the instructions that he gave relate to both prayer and fasting. Uh, so obviously our, our fasting should be seasoned with prayer. Our lives should be seasoned with with prayer, whether we're fasting or not, but that's certainly the case specifically and specially during periods of fasting. And then Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8 and 3 uh, when he said uh, in temptation after he himself fasted for 40 days, he said, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And it may not have been the direct um you know, intention of what he was saying. But that kind of reminds me that when we're abstaining from bread, maybe uh, when we're abstaining from food, a good practice would be to replace that with God's word. And so um, certainly, you know, Bible reading, you know, there's two primary ways in which we hear from the Lord. Uh, that's through direct revelation through prayer. Uh, but the tantamount way, the primary way that we really hear from directly from God is for, through reading his word. And so seasoning our times of fasting with, with uh, you know, a deliberate uh, um, engagement with the word of God is a wonderful idea, I believe. And it certainly fulfills that that statement of Jesus. And then certainly in general, a good practice is to devote to the Lord the time that one would normally spend in preparing and eating food uh, to devote that time uh, to devotions or, or spiritual discipline uh, and devote that to the Lord in some way, shape or form, whether it be in prayer and or Bible reading. Another good idea that I heard is maybe also consider repurposing the money that one would have spent on food during 
during one's fasting period and give that to a cause that honors God, uh, to, to missions or to, you know, poverty relief or something. Uh, I think that's a, a wonderful way to honor God and worship God in, in our fasting as well. Again, that's not a biblical directive. It's just a good, you know, kind of a logical application of ways to really enhance our fasting practice and use that time. And since the primary purpose of fasting is spiritual consecration uh, and spiritual worship, it makes sense during times of fasting to not just when we would be eating, but in general during that whole period of the fast to, to really embrace the idea of separating ourselves from secular worldly pursuits and activities, whether it's for the day or for however long, and 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 really uh, really focus on devoting ourselves to spiritual growth and spiritual discipline. So you know, if, even if you're only going to fast a day, maybe take a longer period uh, to to really focus on separating ourselves from worldly secular um, influences and really devote our time into spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines for for this time of period of fasting and even the days that uh, when we're not fasting around that time, this will certainly help us get more out of the whole experience. In terms of just some closing practical considerations, it's obviously wise to ease into it if one hasn't fasted ever or much. I said don't just jump into a seven-day fast. Um, obviously get some practical advice from a pastor or mentor on ways to, to build up to that um, because, you know, you don't want to put yourself in shock. And certainly, hopefully this goes without saying, but I'll say anyway, if one has medical issues or potential medical issues, there's some considerations and limitations there. You should certainly consult with your doctor before uh, beginning a fast and uh, see what you can do. You might need to do some sort of a modified fast if your medical condition would prohibit you from fasting safely or healthily. And then on, on the final note, this question specifically addressed Matthew 6, 16 through 18 and Jesus' instructions and directions on fasting. So let me read that. And this is the most comprehensive teaching on fasting uh, that Jesus provide. And again, it's primarily concerned with our motivation for fasting. And so Jesus said this in Matthew 6 and 16, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And again, this follows a teaching of uh, Father relatively lengthy teaching on prayer. So prayer and fasting here go hand in hand. So prayer is similar in this regard as well. And some of the same advice and instruction is given. And uh, just let me expound on a couple of things here. Um, so th this idea of when we fast, um, don't be as the hypocrites. So the idea is the, these hypocrites, their motivation is they want to be seen of men. They want to, people to know that they're fasting so that they can be presumed to be spiritual. So, and Jesus said the same thing about prayer in the previous verses, that they, they want to you know pray in the public places so people see them praying. And so in this way, people want to 
you know, make themselves look gloomy, one translation says. They disfigure their faces. In other words, they're they're going to look like they're going through a trial or different times of people would look at them and say, hey, especially in the context of, you know, Jewish culture in which Jesus lives, say, hey, this person's fasting. They must be a, they must be a spiritual person. They must be, you know, a spiritual powerhouse and be admired for their spirituality. Jesus is saying that's that's not the purpose of fasting. And if that's if you if you you know getting some reward from that, then you had that's your reward. But God sees in secret. And so um, when we fast, we shouldn't bring it deliberately to the attention of other people. And so when he says you should anoint your head and wash your face, we don't need to take that literally. That we, uh, you know, but the point is here that no one should be any the wiser. We're not going to, uh, you know, look all frumpy uh, purposely so that people will know we're fasting. But the only person needs to know that we're fasting is God. Now, again, this doesn't mean that congregational fasting is inappropriate. We already covered that. That's a biblical application. It doesn't mean that we can't let, you know, that if our spouse finds out that we're fasting, then then the spiritual, uh, you know, purpose is is thwarted or something of that nature. You know, I don't think we have to go to those extremes. Our motivation shouldn't be to be seen of men, to be admired of people, but rather we should consider it a personal, private devotion unto God, and God will reward us in in spiritual ways, uh, not 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 necessarily physical ways or social ways or what have you. It just means that the purpose and the reason for our fashion fasting, as I mentioned before, should be centered on God, not for the praise and the admiration of others. So some people like to wash their face and anoint their head with oil just as a way of fulfilling this. And that's fine to do that, to really, you know, get in touch with the, the, the spiritual principle. Uh, but I think the real intent and the real purpose is uh, to that no one uh, should be just deliberately informed to impress them but rather you should do it for personal reasons uh, between you and God, and that should be our reward, knowing that we're pleasing God, that we're following his word, and not to be admired or praised by others for our spirituality. So that's Fasting 101, my quick primer on this important topic. I hope that it was helpful to someone and uh, I certainly, as with always, I welcome your feedback on this topic and all others. Well, that's all the time that we have to, for today. So until next time, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. Be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Once again, I so appreciate you listening. Farewell for now.